Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone. Happy Halloween, almost. (laughs) Today I have with me Liz Bailey. She is a mother, a published author, speech language pathologist, and a podcast host who thrives at the intersection of compassion and humor, known for saying some off-the-wall stuff without a filter, (laughs) kind of like me, all to create a transformative experience for her audiences. She's got a master's degree in communication, and she is a survivor of domestic violence. So she knows what it means to use your voice to protect yourself and those you love. I have been taking this week off from work and finishing up the first draft of my book. So I have nothing much more to report (laughs) to you because I have been uh, neck deep, eyeball deep in my book and getting my first draft off to my publisher. And I've been reading through it. I think it might be good. (laughs) Honestly, I have no idea. Um, I think it might be okay. So you'll know more in January of 2024. But for now, here's my conversation with Liz Bailey. Liz, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about, I mean, all the things, all the things. Um, Let's start with your story. Give us, tell tell me a little bit about your story. Um, Hi, nice to be here. I will dive in and tell you the shortest version of a long story that I can muster. Um, (laughs) You can tell us a long one if you want. We're okay with that. (laughs) Well, then in that case, I hope this recording is two hours long. (laughs) So I um, will go all the way back to being a teenager in my 20s. I was doing regular teenager 20 things, you know, going out and partying and going to college and getting a degree and starting work and all that. But then I was like, I want to I want to get married because that's what you do. You get married, buy a house, you have a baby. And then I did all that. And then I got divorced because I was just had it in my head that this person was too boring and we didn't have the same life goals and there's just got to be something more exciting out there. Mm. And what I ended up learning was that there were just life lessons out there because that ex-husband and I co-parent our son beautifully. We are like best friends and we have been able to grow in this really amazing way. And then while he and I were sort of, our relationship was sort of, you know, on hold, not relationship, but our co-parenting and friendship, which has now evolved because I'm divorced a second time because I went and married somebody who is abusive. And I didn't know that um, at the beginning. There were so many red flags, but I think because I didn't have a frame of reference for abuse, I didn't know what was a flag and what was just, you know, cock your head to the side and be like, oh, that, that's a little odd. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, wow. And so a lot of the work 
that I'm doing now in my writing and speaking and, and advocacy is there's so much that is hidden at the beginning. That's not even really that hidden. And so, um, I think that we meet people for good reason and we stay with them for reasons we tell ourselves. And at the end of it, we learn something. I got my daughter from my abusive ex-husband. I have really begin begun to thrive in the space since we have been apart like it's been a really hard journey but i wouldn't change it but what i do want to take from it is there's a lot to teach and um so that relationship was it started off abusive and i didn't know here's the thing i'm gonna get like trigger warning me here like one of our first big fights he choked me yes and i still didn't know that there was something wrong I apologized for his behavior. I He told me that what I had done was terrible and I just believed it. And then we broke up and then we got back together and then we got married and then it happened again. And then we had a baby and then it happened again. And eventually I started realizing, well, once I started seeing a counselor specifically for domestic violence, I realized that there were so many other things happening, gaslighting, manipulation, sexual coercion. And I just was hit with all of these ahas, but they were so overwhelming because at the same time that this was happening, a pandemic started and this person who makes more than I do anyway, because of the career paths we have, he's in finance and I'm in healthcare, like, you know, and I'm not a doctor. Um, (laughs) Plus I was, I stayed home more. I mean, I always worked, but I worked less once we had, you know, our baby. And, and so there was a huge discrepancy in that. And there was a lot of threatening, you know, you're going to be poor if you leave and you're going to be poor, like your parents were, and just taking every vulnerability I'd ever confided in him and using it against me. And so it took a good two years from when I really was like, I have got to go to being divorced. Like my divorce that happened. I left in 2020. My divorce is official two weeks ago. Oh, as congratulations. Of today. Yeah, thank congratulations. you. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the, the it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a couple, of, I mean, I have so many, I was just making notes and there's so many things I want to touch on, but one of the things that I actually want to highlight for my listeners is that it, it, this is very recent and that here you are an advocate and doing this work and talking about this and writing about this and I don't know that we're ever fully healed from it, but you are at a place in your healing where you can talk about it and you can advocate. And and for my listeners who feel like they're never going to be on the other side, like I want that timeline, I think is really important, you know, um, to, to highlight for them. Right. No, <clears throat> I agree. I think that there are, when there's some like, milestones in the process that help you feel like closer and closer but along with each of those milestones comes a whole bunch of shit that makes you feel just as stuck or scared and i think something to really 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 remember for you and for your supporters is that the time is that the timeline is what the timeline is mm-hmm. obviously yours and your children if there are children present safety is like the most important but oftentimes leaving a relationship that is abusive is the most dangerous time and it has to be planned out. So a question like, why don't you just go is 
make somebody who is already really wanting to go and feel stuck, feel even more stuck. So I think a lot of grace needs to be given to a woman who's trying to leave, knowing that the steps that she's making are, um, they are meticulous. They are on purpose. They are because she is looking out for her safety. Um, but I also want to say that there is another side. There is the other side. And it is there. Just know that it's there and that you will get there when you can safely get there. I wanted to highlight another thing that you could talk a little bit more about this, about the apologizing for his abuse, right? So, and this is so common. I hear this all the time with my clients, right? That he abuses me. And then of course it's my fault, right? He tells me it's my fault. Um, and so then I apologize right? And then things go back to normal, <laughs> right? right? And that is such a common uh, cycle, pattern, you know, in the cycle. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and like what that looked like or felt like or like how, why you felt like you had to apologize or? Yes, um, that it's so true. And I found a letter that I had written to him, an apology letter, I found it recently and I was like literally sick to my stomach because I was like, wow, I went to therapy after our first big fight and I talked about it with her and I figured out what went wrong and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I, I felt like if I didn't keep the peace, then it would end. And I had already developed an idea in my head that this person had something that I wanted or needed. They had, he had promised me ideas of, houses and trips and things that I just didn't think I could get on my own. Of mm. course, in hindsight, I'm like, wait, I was fully capable of doing that. But at the time, I didn't see that. And that's okay. At the time, I didn't see it. And that's okay. Well, and that's also part of the design. Right. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. And so we had not even been dating that long. I don't know why I got sucked in. Um, but I did. And so mm. I also knew that I wasn't always the best girlfriend or the best wife. And there was a part of me that was like, I deserved this. I mean, I have been a jerk before. I have, you know, I have an ex-husband that I could have treated better. I'm sure I've done, you know, I talked myself into this was just karma. This was just, I deserved it and I'm going to mm. apologize for it. And he certainly let me because he did not apologize even for his portion of it. Um, and he almost never apologized for his portion of it. And towards the end of our relationship, when he would apologize, it, it was truthful, I think, in that moment. But next time he was mad at me, it got turned around into you shouldn't have dot, dot, dot. Well, if you hadn't dot, dot, dot. Right, right. So I can tell you like what led to that first thing that made me want to apologize. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. No, go for it. We've been just started dating. I had just moved in and he just was like, he would get mad out of nowhere and like cuss at me and then ignore me. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, I, I don't understand. I, so I would try to be nice and I would try to cry or I would try to be ignoring back. And I would like, nothing worked. And I just really wanted this new person to like me. Like, I, I, I don't even actually know why I tried all these things, why I wasn't just like, bye, but I wasn't. Mm. Um, and this particular one, he just, I had just moved in me and my son. Like I was like, here we are, we're going to start this life together. And he was being so mean to me and just acted like I didn't exist. And I lost it. I was like, oh, I'm moving out. And I threw a glass and it broke behind him and his son. And he was like, 
And that's when he attacked me. And then later he said, I will never forgive you for what you did. You threw that glass and, and toward me and my son. And I mean, that was wrong. It's not right to throw and break things. It's not right to scare somebody. You know, I'm not saying that because there is something called reactive behavior, right? So like a lot thank of you women. For not, to, thank you for not calling it reactive abuse because I don't believe in it. I don't called, think so either. It's not abuse. Because I don't feel like I ever abused or was abusive no. to him. It doesn't excuse my behavior in that moment, but I apologized. And guess what? I never did it again because I realized that is not the person that I am or want to be. When I am so upset, I will walk away. I will do other things. That wasn't something that I did in the past. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've thrown my phone at the wall because I was mad at it, but I'm not walking around throwing things at people. You know what I mean? And so I knew that about me, but he was like, how dare you? I don't think I will ever forgive you. Mind you, he choked me after that in front of his son. So, and yet I'm the one saying, I'm so sorry I triggered you. I'm so sorry that I led this, you down this, you know, uh, path to me. I, I don't know. And then he yeah. was finally was like, I think I can forgive you. And I bought that shit. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, the thing about reactive behavior, right. Is that yes, you're responsible ultimately. Right. But you know, in my, in my experience, when I, uh, engaged in reactive behavior. I like, I like that term actually. Um, uh, it was because I had been, I was pushed against the wall. It was because, I mean, figuratively, it was because I was saying, I need to go. You're triggering me. I have to leave the house. I need to go. You need to let me go. And he was taking my keys and he was blocking the door and he was goading me and goading me and goading me until I lost my ever loving mind. In a way, as you said, I had never done ever before in my entire life and have never done since, right? This was not in my character. And then he got to stand back and be like, wow, wow, you're crazy. And he didn't physically assault me, um, but it was that gaslighting, like, you're the crazy one. You're the one. Wow. Never mind every, you know, and then yes, I was the one apologizing. And I now know that that is not, that behavior is not in my nature as it, I don't think is in your nature, but when pushed, most people break. Right. Right. And it's by design that you get pushed to a point and my ex would do it. He would push you to a point and then he would take out his phone and start trying to record you. That's right. So that he had. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. Was, in my case, it was, it was like, before, <laughs> before we had such right. devices. And, it, <laughs> and it's crazy <laughs> because then you're even more afraid. Now you're afraid because you are at this place in, in your brain. And if you know anything about neurobiology, you're not mm-hmm. operating from a, from a cortex, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're, yes, you're not operating you're, from rational reason or thought. Any, right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing that he loved to do. Those of you whose husbands are saying, I'm, I'm reading books, I'm going to therapy, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. There could be something to that. But there is also research that shows that abusive behaviors in people do not often actually change. Right. It is a fundamental value shift mm-hmm. that has to happen. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of time and work. Yeah. 
So short-term therapy Mm -hmm. or, oh my God, I read that book and that really resonated with me is absolutely not enough because you know what it just did? It armed them. Now you're in, you're in your lizard brain. That's where you are right now. Mm -hmm. You're being very reactive, even though I just said I needed to leave. You blocked the door. So here, now you can use these terms you've learned against me when I thought maybe you were doing these actions to help you and us and everything get better. So everything is a tool That's and, right. a, and a weapon. That's and right. It's really scary. Yep. And, you know, in terms of the work that needs to be done and like how long, I mean, we are talking years. It is deprogramming a, an entire internal belief system. And it doesn't, it's not, it's not three months. It's not, you know, three weeks, <laughs> you know, he hasn't changed. It's not possible. Right. Right. And I know that probably a lot of your listeners have heard, well, what about the last six weeks? What about all this work I've been doing? What about I've been there? And I'm like, well, I, I see that, but I'm not going to give you a medal. Do you want a trophy? Like this is very hard work. You are undoing a value about how you think about conflict and treating women and power and control. This isn't undone in a little bit of time. That's right. And so to think that way is just flawed. That's right. And and also, the minute someone says, "Well, what about the work I'm doing?" you can be guaranteed they're not doing the work. <laughs> like that is, a, that is your sign. Very good point. <laughs> that is your sign, your sign. <laughs> that it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> or that because they, right. Right. Yeah, what that translates it. to, they are weaponizing it. And so what it translates to, and I I say this all the time, I'm like, I feel like if you if I could take everything from my relationship and boil it down to one phrase, it's after all I've done for you. <laughs> And so after all I've done for you, how dare you leave after all I've done for you, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a way to decimate your self-esteem, your ability to go to college and work and raise children and go to therapy and do all the amazing, amazing things you do doesn't matter because look at what I've done for you. And so when that is all systematically stripped away and you're trying to leave, you are a raw nerve with no self-esteem. And it's really hard to get up and go. It's the hardest, scariest part, which again, leads me back to your allies, your support system, the, the men and women in your life who need to be there along the way with you in the way that you need them to be there with you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I want to, I want to come back to your support system, but I also want to go back, just circle back to the, like, after all I've done for you and how that, and I think this is what you were saying. I just want to sort of underscore it, that how that makes it fe- makes you feel like anything that, y- anything that you have, your emotional uh maturity their you know your 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 physical assets your like everything is because of them and that without them you are nothing that becomes this sort of systemic belief system that you are now infused with that really what would you do without them how can you survive without them you know the destabilization of your self esteem is the design of the power and control that's how they maintain it. Um, how did you get to the point where you were ready to leave, where you knew you had to leave? And then how did you go about it? Because again, especially 
when someone has put their hands on your throat, your, you know, the cases of your, your risk of domestic homicide increases 500%. Yeah. So like, I need, and I need everyone to hear that again. (laughs) If someone has ever put their hands on your throat, your risk of domestic homicide increases 500% and your, the risk of your, your danger is at its highest when you say you're going to leave. So Mm -hmm. how did you get out Um, and get out safely? Thank you for asking that. And you know, when you were saying put your hands around your throat, I think at the beginning, uh, I I said choked. Also, you can say strangled. I think that some people say different things and different things mean different things. Like different terms have different um, defining qualities. And I'm just going to say that when someone puts their hand on your throat in any way in anger, it does not matter what you call it. It does not. And actually, we should call it what it is, right? Which is strangulation. Like it actually is, right? It is. It is. I cannot breathe because you have obstructed my airway with your own body. That's right. You know, it's interesting. You said systematically, I systematically made plans to leave, but I did so much in secret. Like sometimes when I think back about it, I'm like, wow. Like, you know, the first thing I did is I I read a book called, um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all heard of it. You are a badass. And there was a section <laughs> Jensen in there. Cheryl. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. And there was a section in there about money. And then I read her book. I'm looking at it right now. You are a badass, You're a badass with, with money. money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I realized that so much of my lack mindset was woven into this, des- this not desire, this need to be with this person who could provide for me because I was so in my mind at this point, believing I was unable to provide for myself. I started reading this book and taking notes and kind of just keeping them in my bedside table or wherever I kept them and really trying to unravel that story so that I could take the next step of, wait, maybe I can do this. The next step wasn't even putting money away. The next step was just asking myself, can I do this? Can I survive on my own? And then um, I also read the book, uh, Why Does He Do That? by Lundy Bancroft. I think that book is the greatest ever. I won't say Bobby. It is so good. <laughs> like it was the first yeah. thing that I ever read that told me I wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. It was the first thing that highlighted more than just the strangulation, but so many of the other behaviors like following me in the car and blocking the doorway and, you know, name calling all these other things that when you go, well, he never hit me. It's like, well, he did all these other things. Yeah. And then it very often will lead to that anyway. So mm-hmm. I started educating myself. I did it quietly. I did it, you know, I had a note in my phone and I put it in a secret folder where I was like taking notes. And, and so I just educated myself quietly. Then I opened up a bank account um, at my mom's bank and gave her, you know, I said, please just, you know, I just, I said, I will explain this to you later, but please just hold on to this information so that it wasn't accessible in our home. I started trying to put a little bit of money away. I took on some extra side gigs that I would get paid like in cash so that I could do that. Mm -hmm. And You know, I have to say that, thank God I had the ability to do some of those things. I also fully recognize that I had privilege 100%. I had privilege and opportunities that Mm -hmm. don't always come easily. I was able to just go get some little side gigs and I had a support system, you know, kind of tucked away because I eventually started to tell a couple of friends and to tell a couple of friends. And then I was just like, y'all hang tight, you know? And, And so as I sort of built these different things around me, when it was time to really go and it was scary as hell... I could go because I had set some money aside because 
I had, you know, told my mother and some of my best friends who I knew would never let me and my children fall, you know? Um, but there's a lot of privilege that comes with mine. Like, the, you know, we had w- one house that we lived in, one house that we had as a rental. I moved into that rental house and that's my house. Like, you know, so even though I was told things like, you know, you don't deserve that and all these terrible things about it, I still had um, options and I still had tangible things to go to. So easy and hard. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was a pr- and it's a process, right? And th- and I think one of the most important things that you that you said too is that you were educating yourself. And this is what I tell everybody all the time is your spouse, your abuser will tell you that you'll never be able to survive without me. You'll get nothing. I'll take the children. I, you know, you can't live in that rental house. It's not yours. It's mine. It's my money. And oh my God, it's all the time, all bullshit, but you mm-hmm. have to educate yourself. You need to go and have a consultation with an attorney in your state so that you know, actually what your rights are so that when they say all this stuff, you go, uh-huh. Okay. And you, <laughs> you know, but you know, the truth yeah. because the number of people that come to me and say, I don't know, he said he was going to take the kids and he said this and he said that. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Find out how it works. So that you know, when he threatens you, that that's not how it works, right? And that's how you begin to take back your power, by educating yourself. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly right. Because from the start of like reading those books to getting to finally hire an attorney was three years because I was so terrified to hire an attorney because I heard over and over and over again, when I would start to bring up separation or divorce or whatever, he was like, well, we'll just do it this way because we're not giving up money to attorneys. They are just leeches. They are just going <laughs> to bleed you dry. And why would we spend money on their kid's college when we could put it toward our kid's college? And then he would say things like, well, I'm not going to give you child support. I mean, obviously you can pay for your own and we'll get 50-50. And he just dictated all the terms. And I was just always like, quiet. Like, I don't know. No, I wouldn't agree, but I wouldn't disagree. And I would just let it go. And finally, finally, I had a consult and another consult. And then I was like, had had enough. And I was so, so terrified to put down a retainer on a separate credit card that I'd opened all by myself. I did it during therapy. My therapist was like, you want to put the retainer down together right now? Okay, you type it in. I'm right here. I mean, and it was huge. Like I have goosebumps just thinking about the moment that I hired that person was the moment I had someone on my side, like knowledgeable on my side and that somebody would speak on my behalf. It was massive. And, and I had this like, like I always think of like a tipping point. Like I was so afraid of the ruin that he might put me through that I wasn't willing to take the step. Then all of a sudden I was not afraid anymore. The idea of being away from him outweighed any of the the potential ruin that he promised. And, and I, it, it was worth it. I was like money well spent, get me out of here. Someone help me do this. And I hired someone to help me do it. And guess what? I have debt and I'm paying for it. Well, worth it. And did you make sure that your attorney, that this person, because I th- you mentioned having a couple of consults, did you make sure that the attorney that you hired actually was well-versed in domestic violence and could actually understand like how to advocate for you in that way? The, the few people that I talked to, I told that 
too. And all of them, it seemed like an afterthought for everybody. Even my attorney, who I thought did a great job and came as a personal recommendation from a friend, I still had to say, I'm afraid of this person. Do not forget that when you were saying, do this, don't do this, da 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 there is a whole other underlying factor here. And I didn't feel like any of the other attorneys that I talked to also really understood that any more than he did. I mean, I felt like they were great for me, but I felt like I had to advocate for myself more often than not. Mm -hmm. And I ended up telling that whole law team, like, listen, if you want me to come do like teach you guys about how to do trauma informed, you know, family law for people like me, let's do it because it's important. It is important. It's so important. I have a a client whose entire legal team, because she's dealing with, you know, extreme, um, like he's, he's a psychopath and it's really real. And and she will probably be in court for a decade because he's just now using the court system to manipulate in every possible way and holding up and then more motions and then more filings that right. And it will go on for a long time. And her mm-hmm. legal team finally decided to take courses Wow, good for them. <laughs> because they were like, okay. And this is, you know, it's interesting because, you know, she went with this sort of smaller, more intimate law firm and I think that was a that ended up being a good call because they are so invested in her that they decided to like take courses in in understanding domestic violence and this level of pathology, which I think is amazing. And I do I do wish more legal professionals would do that. I have to say I went with a smaller firm too. They called themselves like a we were laughing boutique. about it. A boutique law firm. Yes. Yeah. But I felt like they really cared. Yeah. Uh-huh. I felt like once I was telling them, like, listen to me. I think they they were more invested in my story. And when I started saying, like, I really think you guys need to be more educated on this, they acted, you know, they were like, yes, please, like, let's talk more about this. So there is something to be said about smaller law firms in that way. So I'm really glad that they were able to do that because then you can advocate better for your clients. Don't go put them in a dangerous situation. The court system isn't set up to protect women and children from abusers. Abusers are cunning on purpose. They are charming and they are good at what they're doing. That's right. And so. the family family law judges are not required nor are they interested in being trained in domestic violence. So we have to mm-hmm. be our own advocates but also educate our legal team to advocate for us. You know, I've started telling everyone, everyone needs to, I think needs to be um, if you are in uh, an abusive marriage, if if you're getting out of one, whatever, ev- every single one of us needs to become trained as domestic violence victims advocates because, you know, even in my in my advocacy training, I was learning things that after a decade of doing this work, I really didn't know, and I didn't, and was like able to say like, oh, that's what happened to me, and that's right, mm-hmm. and and it's I just think we should all we should all be trained in it, every one of us. And now a word from our sponsor, the Divorce Survival Program. Now that you know that divorce is on the horizon, you need to get up to speed on how all of this works. Stat. You probably have a million and one questions swirling through your head from how and when do we tell the kids to will my ex and I ever get along again and just about everything in between. You've got legal questions, you've got financial questions, and you've got a whole host of questions about your kids. And that doesn't even touch how you'll start your life over again. Lucky for you, I have the answers to all of your questions. 
As one of the pioneers of the divorce coaching industry, I've been helping women navigate the divorce process for the last decade. And now, for the first time ever, all of my divorce wisdom is available in one online program. The Divorce Survival Program will help you process the emotional fallout of your divorce so you don't go into mediation bitter or resentful. It'll help you understand the difference between litigation, mediation, collaborative divorce, and identify which is right for you. It'll help you tell your husband you want a divorce in a way that doesn't keep you stuck in a circular conversation for the next three months. It'll help you tell your kids you're getting a divorce in a way that won't completely break them. It'll help you understand how your divorce will impact your friends and family and what conversations are appropriate to have with each. It'll help you create appropriate and healthy boundaries with your ex and learn about dating after divorce and how that will affect you, your kids, and yes, even your ex. But most important, the most important thing this program will help you do is protect your children from any unnecessary fallout from an ugly and contentious divorce litigation. And that, my love, is fucking priceless. So sign up today. Go to kateanthony.com slash getting divorced and don't forget to use the code DSGPOD for $50 off. That's DSGPOD, Divorce Survival Guide Podcast, because that's where you heard it. DSGPOD will give you $50 off. So once again, that's kateanthony.com slash getting divorced. And now back to our episode. Couple of required readings that I would make mandatory if I had a class would be The Body Keeps the Score. Yep. Have you read this? Mm-hmm. And the Lundy Bancroft book. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to know that like people who have gone through trauma, it stores in your body, it comes out in certain ways. If you, if your lawyer who's trying to help you raises their voice at you, you're going to shut down. Yep. The last thing you need is someone that you hired to be on your team to be, you know, to start acting in any kind of way that resembles abuse because it's the first, you know, way to get your client to like, I don't know, shut down and not be able to yep. be a good team player anymore. And it's very common for us to choose attorneys um, that mirror that abuse, right? Because for a variety of reasons, but you know, we, it's the same muscle choosing our attorney that chose our abuser, right? Like we we get sort of swayed by your attorney shows any sort of signs of early, early signs of like narcissism or anything, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is very common in attorneys. I think you want to start listening to those red flags that you may have overlooked early in your relationship. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And so just kind of going back to like, you know, the, the privilege and the, and the, how did you get out and the opportunities that I had that some others don't, I think, I hope, that as many of us can have the opportunity to to learn, go to the, I went to the library, so I didn't like buy a book. I just went to the local library and I checked mm-hmm. out the Lundy Bancroft book. And then I looked into local resources. I, I became a, a client of the Safe Alliance here in Austin, um, which back in the day used to be called the Center for Battered Women. Yeah, um, right. And mm-hmm. has since changed. But, yeah. and, you know, I was able to use their resources and be in their uh, therapy groups. Also, they were able to write a letter to, um, 
my uh, to the attorney to have in my case if we needed to go to court. They have legal advocates. There's other free resources. So I really think tapping into yep. your local resources yep. and doing that as secretly as you can, asking a friend, "Hey, can you store these on your computer?" You know, so if you ever go to the um, domestic violence hotline, like the first thing that pops up is, "Do you need to get out of here safely?" You press any button. Right. People in this space are looking out for your safety. That's and right. So even though it feels scary to take the first step in that education, it's the number one first step because the second that you have a spark of inspiration and self-worth like in you and you realize, oh my God, maybe I don't have to take this for the rest of my life, then I think that it will really start to unfold. Those resources are so important. People, a lot of people don't, you know, when when we say to them, like, call your local domestic violence shelter, what people hear is, oh God, I need to go into hiding and I need to like go into, and I can't take my kids and how am I going to, right? And that's not all they offer. It's only one of the millions of things that they offer, which, and most of which is advocacy and, you know, legal aid and all, it's just so many resources and mm-hmm. so much information. Um, you know, if you file a restraining order and you need to then go to court, you know, after the temporary restraining order and, and you need to go to court that there are advocates that will go with you because you're going to mm-hmm. be in court facing your abuser. And that's fucking terrifying. Right. And so you want an advocate to go with you, or as you said, your support system, we need to surround ourselves with people who actually understand what's happening and the people who don't understand and are maybe well-meaning but say mm-hmm. really stupid things that are so not informed, um, you either need to let them know that what they're saying is not helpful or those are not your people right now. Right. 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 That's exactly right. And I think that's hard too. It's really trying to tease out who are the people that are helping me in this very hard thing and who are the ones who are just imposing their own agenda for their, for whatever reason, I think, like you said, and I like the way you said, you know, those aren't my people right now. Maybe I can have a relationship with this person later, but right now I already feel like shit. I'm already scared. I'm already feeling like I can't do this. And that's what I'm being told by this person. You can't leave. What do you, you know, what your life's going to be like without me. Right. You know, and that was one form of manipulation. Another one was I'm going to take, I'm going to take you to court and bluff and threaten and bluff and threaten. It was just nothing but blustering to scare me. And eventually I had to just do that whole gray rocking shit Mm -hmm. and I did, and it worked. But what do you do when somebody's bullying you? You ignore them. That's right. Because all they want is your attention. That's right. That's all they want. The other required reading is the um, Biff for co-parents book. Um, oh, I that. have a note in my phone about that about Biff. Um, mm-hmm. My friend is the is a podcast. Have you heard of the Narcissist Apocalypse? Yeah, mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Uh, the host of that and I are friends, and he he and I were talking about that one time. What's the yes. book called? It's called Biff for co-parents. It's um. Biff for Co-Parent Communication, Your Guide to Difficult Co-Parent Texts, Emails, and Social Media Posts. It's by Bill Eddy. Um, Bill was on the podcast talking about this, wow, I don't know, last year maybe? And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, oh, but it's cool. Yeah, I need that one too. It's a brilliant book because I would say it's about a third maybe of content. And then it's like two thirds examples. 
<laughs> so oh, I love that. Biff's about education, Biff's about, you know, co-parenting, Biff's about healthcare, Biff's about changes, plans to so Biff stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And it's all about how to how to communicate without getting sucked into the drama and basically giving someone ammunition <laughs> to, to get inside of you. I actually wrote a blog. I had written it. And then when, when Brandon saw it, he was like, oh, it's like Biff. I was like, what's mm-hmm. Biff? And so yeah, yeah. I love that there was already a term for something I was kind of trying to do in this way. Mm-hmm. It, it just builds a little bit of credibility because yeah. I think on one hand, somebody could say, you're being an asshole. I'm like, no, I'm being concise. That's right. And that's it. I'm that's giving it. you the information you need. We're not friends. I don't have a desire for a friendship with you. Here's the information on the child or the court date or the piece of mail that came or whatever. And that's that. It's a business transaction. It is. And so, yeah, I was like, wow, I'm really glad that there, that, that a framework for this already exists because mm-hmm. when you tell somebody, oh, well, if you're not co-parenting well, then you're just hurting the children. I'm like, you can't say that to an abused a woman who's been in an abusive relationship or because we are, we are parallel parenting because that is what is safest to do. Right. Got to think about your words there. <laughs> that's right. And so Bill also runs something called the high conflict Institute. And that's, you know, this is what they do. <laughs> it's all ah. how to deal with high conflict. So t- can you tell me what your relationship is like now with your co-parent? Because obviously, you know, unfortunately, like we're, we're in this for life you have a kid together, so you don't get to just walk away scot-free and go no contact and all of those things. And so is there post-separation abuse? Is he, you know, or has he found a new supply? So she, you know, it's really funny. It's almost like I could tell when he did. So here's a little side story. His ex-wife and I have become very good friends and we didn't know each other for most of my relationship with him because he told me that she was a psychopath, a sociopath, and mm-hmm. that she was abusive and that she was mean and that she would make an enemy out of anyone she meets and that all of these things and was like, you cannot meet her. She will find a way to hurt you. And I was That's like, right. well, you know, mm-hmm. you guys have a kid together and maybe I should talk to her. And, you know, our sons are brothers now and no, 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 no. Right. What I come to find out later is if he was telling her all these things about me that were untrue. And so we met in secret and we have developed this relationship and we've been a, a big source of healing for each other. It's also really interesting because they still have to co-parent. So I see kind of into my future sometimes the conflict that still comes up with them. And right now, and so she and I have talked about like, you know, who, is he mad at me or you right now? Because he's usually not mad at us both at the same time. <laughs> and <laughs> Right. And is he seeing somebody? Cause he's kind of leaving us alone. Like, mm-hmm, so that other mm-hmm. source comes in and it's so yep. interesting because, you know, there would be times where it was like, what's going on? Like everything's like all quiet on the front. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like, Oh, there we go. Okay. Tantrum. What happened? I don't even know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so because there is always something explosive after a quiet, there's always something mean after some attempt at niceness. I believe the history of his behavior. So in order to keep myself sane and safe, I I go back to Biff. I just, I send very short messages. I don't engage in banter and conversation. I have no desire. I really, really try not to ask to trade days or anything because anything I ask for is just something to dangle in front of me when he gets mad at me. So I, you know, I try to just stick to the decree because anything outside of that is just an invitation for potential chaos. And so our relationship is, um, I mean, we don't, 
you know, mostly we don't speak. There's nothing mm-hmm. to speak about mm-hmm. when there's an exchange that we have to be together. That doesn't happen at the school. I grab my daughter's backpack and if there's anything to report, it's reported or I listen if he's reporting and then I walk away. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and because even when his name pops up on my, in, in our parenting app, my heart starts beating. Like I mm-hmm. still have a physical response right? to even seeing his name on my phone because I have no idea if it's going to be a regular, you know, benign, innocuous question or if it's going to be some tantrum or blame or threat and he does that even in the co-parenting app knowing that other people can see yes (laughs) yeah because he doesn't care and i you know why he doesn't care because they're the consequences for his behavior are minimal they've always been minimal that's right they they appear to i don't know at what point there will be something for him you know enough for him to change but nothing yet no going to jail for him from his ex-wife and you know being yeah like he did the same thing to her and she called the police i was always too afraid to call the police and he even said that to me once he was like i will lie in court you don't even have a police report and i was like oh great yeah of course i'm scared he made sure i was scared of him oh wow oh wow and there will be times where i would be trying to record and if he's oh, one time he caught me recording man, that was scary. He gets by with fear, like making you feel afraid or trying to do that, the victim playing. I actually Uh try really hard not to. I don't think I'm a victim. I don't even think I'm a survivor. I'm a woman who was in a relationship that was very abusive. And now I am somebody who tries to educate and advocate in the space. But at every chance he gets, it's, it's, you need to stop bullying me, Liz. And I'm like, what are we even talking about? This mind games. Yep. And that's when you just walk, you t- shut it down and work and walk away. Right. That Right. I mean, All of that to say that I oh. have learned that, you know, the whole definition of insanity thing. I don't do the same thing. I now, the thing that works is, is, is concise and informational and that's it. That's right. And for those who don't know the definition of insanity it's doing the same thing oh, yeah. over and over again and expecting a different result, which is essentially right. what we've been doing in our marriages, right? For all this time. Right. Oh my gosh. Liz, right. thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. I think it's just so important to be having really candid uh, conversations about our experiences and what we've learned and um, doing the advocacy work. Um, any final words you want to leave our audience with? I think I would say two things. One, to the woman who is trying to leave is in the process of leaving has left and gone back and left and gone back like i am just going to maybe you don't need permission but please just love yourself through every step of it Mm -hmm. you are doing the best you can in a really scary situation and so i i like to always tell anyone that comes to me or reaches out to me on my website like i believe you i believe you and i know you're in a hard place and so just keep going just keep going the best way you can. The other thing I would say is to those who are supporting that woman, just listen to what she needs. Don't tell her what she needs. Ask her what she needs. I love it. Thank you so much, Liz. Where can people find you and follow you? Okay. So I have a website. It's www.lizgbailey.com. Same um, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, Liz G. Bailey. I've written a children's book, which is unrelated to all of this, but I'll be posting about that soon. I've written a memoir 
proposal that is being looked at um, by Publishing House right now. So Yee, we will good see luck. about that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But yeah, I just, um, you know, anyone that wants to reach out and I'm connected with a lot of resources now, like domesticshelters.org and um, Texas Council on, on Family Violence and other ones. So I feel like if anyone just is, if the first place they land is my website, reach out to me and I can help you find um, resources in your community. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. That's super helpful. Love it. And I hope that people will actually take you up on that. Yes, I do too. I do too. Um, Oh my God, this has been so awesome. Well, I am really glad to have been here and talked about this and to have met you. Thanks, Liz. You too. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.